good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. I'm excited about this series that we're in, the David series. Just uh, listening to Colton bring the heat, and uh, it's pretty exciting stuff when God begins to shake and move His people to walk in abundant love. And so, this morning we're going to be <clears throat> we're going to be in First Samuel 22. If you're new here, my name is Rich Diaz. I'm an elder at uh, Renewal, and um, well, you're always welcome to reach out and invite me to breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. Uh, I'm there for you at any time, uh, so long as there's coffee at least, and I'm just kidding. Listen, it's, uh, we love you guys, and we really want for you to feel like you can call us for anything uh, except for building a deck, um, but even then, sometimes we're okay with that. So this morning, though, we're going to be in 1 Samuel, so if you would, turn with me to 1 Samuel. And then it's only two short verses, so turn to Psalm 142. Katie read there this morning for us. So turn to Psalm 142, put your finger there, hold that spot. We're going to go there quickly. David departed from there. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Psalm 142. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my ways. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see... There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Amen. So David is in the cave of Adullam, uh, and, and he writes this first bit here. Or he's, he's, we're telling this story. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. There are times in our life when we really just want to get away. We're, we're feeling the pressure. We're feeling the heat. And things are getting a little scary, and, and it's getting hard, and, 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 things, and the pressure is building, and things are not as we'd like for them to be. And so we begin to seek for a place to solace to, a place to run, a place to hide. And uh, I believe that in those times, God will begin to drive us to Him. Um, We may find a place in the natural to hide, but God wants us to refuge in Him. And so as He drives David into the wilderness, and David goes out there to, to see the world and hide away from those who are out to seek Him, God becomes his refuge. And so in 2 Samuel 22, 2 and 3, he says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. From violent people, you save me. And so what had been going on before this is that um, David had spent some time in battle. David and his army had spent some time in battle. They've been fighting the Philistines, 
and the Philistines had brought in some giants in the land. And so it's just one battle after another. They're fighting these giants, and he's tired, and he's weary, and he's broken. And so he retreats, and then he writes uh, a song to the Lord. And this is part of that song in, in uh, 2 Samuel 22, 2 and 3. Um, it, it's, it's a part of a praise that God is holy. God is my rock. God is my fortress. And so it's important for us to remember that God created us um, for community. And so there are times, though, when he needs us to be away from it all and kind of retreat away and depend on him and trust in him. And so when the times of the cave show up and we're in there, we need to rest and relax in him. And so um, this whole kind of battle and talking about David reminds me of, a, of another warrior from our history, um, the great General George Washington, our first and greatest president, um, whom the world would call a deist, uh, in fact, was a very devout and um, saved a Christian man. And so here's, kind of, here's one of the first battles that he's remembered for. He was with General George, or with General Braddock, and um, it was during the French and Indian battle. Uh, they were going to Fort Duquesne to kind of take it over, rip it from the French, the hands of the French, and keep it. And what happened was, is, uh, you know, the Brits, they, they are staunch in there, got to cut a trail, so they're cutting trees down and letting everybody know where they're at and marching in columns and just very military. Great for field battle, terrible for uh, guerrilla warfare, which the Indians were good at. Anyway, so um, they're out in the woods and all of a sudden shots begin to ring out. And they, they don't know where the shots are coming from, but redcoats are falling everywhere. And George begins to ring in battle. Now at this time, all of the commanders are on horses, and they're in red coats. Nothing's better than a high target marked in red, right? You're, you're uh, wow, fair game, right? And so these guys begin to fall. And George is, is jumping from horse to horse as his horse keeps getting shot out from underneath him. He, he ends up with a bullet-riddled coat, missing his hat because it was shot off his head, and survived the battle and took his men out and marched him out while General Braddock took a shot that fatally killed him. Um, that's really what fatally means. He'll die in that process. And so, um, but what George wrote about that, about that incident, is he says this. He writes this. This is beautiful. When we think about George being a deist, look at this. The miraculous care of providence protected me beyond all human expectation. That's a real deist right there. Oh, that's a solid man of faith who loves God. And he just, he, he recognized that God is so holy, he doesn't need to use the name God. Like, we're, we're real easy. We like to just use God and Lord and all the fun stuff. The, the, old, the old days, they used all kinds of words, providence and creator and all kinds of names for God. And so they recognize that God is more than this God that we always use. They're, he's bigger than that. And so George used it as a way to describe a holy God. The miraculous care of providence. How beautiful. Um, and so he went on to fight many great battles um, and also become our first president. And so the idea is that he recognized God is in control. God took care of him in the battle. And so here's what um, Spurgeon says about caves. And so as David's in this cave, Spurgeon says this, caves make good closets for prayer. Makes me think of the war room, right? Um, their gloom and solitude are helpful for the exercise of devotion. Had David prayed as much in his palace as he did in his cave, 
he might never have fallen into the act which brought such misery unto his latter days, right? Maybe he would have went to war instead of hanging out at the palace. And so um, caves are important for us. There are times of learning, times of prayer, times of solitude where we can go grow close to the Lord. It's a time to reflect and a time to seek out a holy God. And so in Psalms 142, turn there. We're going to hang out there for the remainder. We see, um, we see six things that we're going to pull out of this. Two are, two are out of um, David's desperation, and then two are out of David's realization. So this, uh, this psalm is called a maskal of David, which is really uh, a Hebrew word for instruction or contemplation, just kind of uh, a deeper thought, deeper uh, uh, workings. And so this maskal, this, this uh, psalm, really tells the story of, of David. And so as he's writing this, um, the first thing he sees in his desperation is the abundance of enemies. Look at verse 1. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him, I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. And so there's an abundance of people out to get him. He's running from Saul. He's running from the enemies of the land. Even people who wouldn't necessarily be his enemy because he's not king and he's running from the king. The, the lands are against him, and so he's really kind of freaking out. And, and so you would think, too, also, in this, in this psalm that you hear he's, he's complaining, he's whining. Is that really what's happening here? Can we, can we go to God with our complaints? Can we go to God with our whining? Is that okay? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And so um, Dr. McLaren says this about that situation. The outpouring of complaint is not meant to tell Jehovah what he does not know. Was God ignorant of, of our problems? No, He's very aware, more so than we are, right? It is not, it is not for the complainer's... Oh no, I'm sorry. It is for the complainer's relief, not for God's information. And so McLaren says, hey, make your petition. It'll ease your heart to know you've poured yourself out to a holy God, and He's there for you. He trusts you. He, you can trust in Him, rather. And so Matthew 10.22 says this, um, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so as we, as we walk our walk, as we are the Christians God called us to be, as we behave as God called us to behave, the world begins to see us as kind of a, a prodding uh, pointer, like, like we're telling them they're not good enough. And, and they just, just by proxy, because we're doing what's right and they're doing what's wrong, they see us as kind of a, a negative Nancy, we're telling them, oh, you're, you're bad. That's not how we live, though. That's not how we walk. We walk in, in a way that was said there's, there's a higher way. There's, there's a God of creation who desires for you to live a different life, to be better, to walk better. And so because of that, we, they see us as pointers of guilt. Ha, 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 you're, you know, we're better than you. And that's not how we walk. But because of that, we, are, we become the enemy, and they seek after us. And then in verse 4, <clears throat> David says, Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. And so he's in this situation 
where he has an absence of friends. There's no one around him. He's in this cave by himself. Um, Philippians 4.19 says this to us, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Hey, does God know that we need companionship? Does God know that we're people of community? Is he surprised by that? No, not at all. He knows that, that we, need, we need people. Um, but most important, we need to remember we need him above all, right? And so there'll be times where he tests that so that we can grow. And so he'll test the fact that we're not around people. We need to lean on him. And so, and that's good. That's good for our soul. That causes us to reach out to him because we need him more. We don't have people around us. Um, and so that's uh, in David's desperation, that's what we see with him. Uh, and then David's realization. Verses 5 through 7, we see these four things. Verse 5 says, I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Right? And so he says, God alone is my refuge. He recognizes that only God can provide. Nahum 1.7 says, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So if we'll just rest and trust in him, he becomes our refuge. And then in verse 6, God alone is his strength. Habakkuk 3.19 says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on, on my high places. And so he's our strength. There's times when, when things get really tough, things get really hard, when, when life feels like it's falling apart all around, when it's really hard to see the forest for the trees. Um, God becomes our strength. He settles us and, and He begins to, to place our feet where they need to be. He makes us sure-footed if we trust and lean on Him. He is faithful to walk us through the fire. Again in verse 6, God alone is all David wants. Oh, that's it. God only, right? Deuteronomy 32.12, the Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. So we have a tendency, um, we're worshipers, that's how God made us, uh, and not surprised at all by that, that, uh, that, that we worship um, God. But also, if we're not worshiping God, we're going to worship something, and you can look on Sunday uh, in the stadiums and see great worshipers. I mean, just take a look around, right? They're painted up, they got their hats on, they got their, their, they got their game face on, they got their big fingers. I mean, they're, they're worshiping, man. They, you know, I don't, I don't see anybody here with a big... Anybody got a big finger? No, no hats? At home? <laughs> God has called us to worship a holy God. And, 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 our, and our outer um, garb, what we put on, is the Holy Spirit. We don't put on all the makeup. We don't need to put on the paint. We don't need to put on the helmets and the fingers and and all the crazy things, we just need to put on the Holy Spirit that we would walk in grace, we would walk in truth, and we would recognize that all we need is God alone. We don't need any other foreign gods. We don't need any of that, just God alone. Verse 6 and 7, David realizes, look at verse 7, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. Bring me out of prison. 
And so David is in this cave and he's thinking, man, oh man, I got nowhere to go. I can't leave here. If I leave here, I'm in trouble. They're all around me. They're seeking to destroy me. I'm in trouble. I'm in prison. I need help. And so God alone is his his rescuer. And so Psalm 18 is is a psalm that David wrote in the times of running from Saul. And so listen here as we read Psalm 18, 16 through 19. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out of the broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. How amazing, right? I mean, when we feel like that there's, there's no hope, there's no way out, I'm in trouble, this is sinking fast, this ship is going down, and, and, and I'm in trouble, I need help. God shows up. God cares about us. God loves us. He may, he may put us, we may be in dire straits, and He may even set us in dire straits so that we call out to Him. We must call out to a holy God who will rescue us in these times. And so I remember uh, when I was uh, just a few years ago now, COVID had kicked off really strong, and, and I was coming back from an injury at work. And, and uh, so we were considered essential personnel, and so we had to come to work which was good. I needed a job, needed to work, and I didn't need any downtime and idle hands, you know, or the, the devil's playground. Um, and so keeping me busy was important. Um, but also I was kind of, in a, kind of in a spiritual funk. I wasn't really um, on my A game. I really wasn't, uh, God wasn't first. He was there, but he wasn't first. And so I spent some time in some real difficult uh, struggles, and, and I got the notice that said, uh, we're essential, but uh, the army's not, and they're not sending us work, uh, so go home. So I got furloughed for five weeks. And, uh, you know, there hasn't been a time in my life when God didn't provide. I, I, I rarely went out looking for jobs. They typically found me. And I'm not bragging, that's because God is a mighty God, and he provided constantly for me. Because I'm, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the brightest marble in the bag, Right? And so God has to handle my business. And so he makes sure that he always takes care of me. But this one time I thought, man, I got this. I know exactly what's going to happen. It's time. I've been in aviation for 27 years. Let me step out. Let me get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go drive trucks. I look like a truck driver, don't I? I have the physique of one. Yeah. So I went to school. I spent five weeks and 6,500 bucks and money I didn't have, but I, I thought I can't, I got to spend it because I need a job. And so I went to school for five weeks and hated every minute of it, hated driving trucks. Oh, the big goofy rig and standard. And I just, it was, I stunk at it. I was not good at it and I didn't like it. But I graduated. I did well. Uh, surprisingly, I, I had no idea. Um, that I was capable to drive a truck, but, um, but God, right? And so graduation day, I get a phone call. Hey, Rich, we need you to start Monday. My old job called me back. God knew, but I freaked out, went and did it on my own. Let me go, let me go do this. I got this, God. I got it. Don't worry about it. I can handle this. God was like, oh, all right, I'll just wait here, right? And he did. He waited there, and then I got a call go back to work. And so the CDL license 
stands as a reminder on my driver's license of the day I didn't trust God, essentially. And so, in my own foolishness, he rescued me out of my mess. Because I was fixing to have to take a job driving trucks, and I hate driving trucks. I don't even like being beside a truck when I'm driving in my truck, you know? I'm just like, mm, flying by them. So I get out of the way. But uh, so God rescued me. And that's what God does, right? When we, when we are so foolish to think that we got this, God is able to take us through it and take over and take charge and handle our business. God is good, is he not? Amen. So the last thing we see is, remember, David's in this cave by himself. He's all alone. He's, you know, he's starting to freak out. Um, we even saw, though, in, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, it says that God sent men. He sent all the, the people who were in debt, those who were, who were angry, those who were troubled, those who were... He sent all these, he's, these crazy people down to David. In fact, it said they numbered 400 men. 400 men. Can you imagine? 400 whiners and complainers that were, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I love people, but whoo. Um, and so here David is in this situation. And here's what could have happened. Here's, this could have got ugly quick, right? David's angry. These men are angry. Nobody likes Saul. Saul's running rough shot. He's losing his gourd. He's starting to think everybody's against him. He's conspiratorial. He's, he's uh, suspicious. Everyone is an, everyone's a problem. And so this could have been real ugly. But God surrounds David with these men, and God has made David a man of character. God has made David stand tall. And so he doesn't allow these men to taint his spirit. He doesn't allow these men to drag him down. In fact, what he does is he commands these men, and he makes them better men, and they become warriors for a holy God. They become righteous people. They become solid in their foundation. They become solid in their faith. And they begin to trust David and trust God and walk in a, in a righteous way. This could, have been, this could have been a ragtag outfit of gangsters. They could have been uh, marauders. They could have been pillagers. They weren't any of that. And we'll see that as we continue to study David um, throughout Samuel and 2 Samuel. It's incredible. But 1 Samuel, turn with me to 1 Samuel. <clears throat> First Samuel 22. Where are we? Verse 22, we're going to look at verses 16 through 19. Let me set this up just a little bit. So what's happened here is David, uh, when he was running from Saul in earlier chapters, he was running from Saul, uh, got hungry, uh, didn't, have, didn't have any gear, didn't have any weapons, had nothing. He goes to the temple and he sees Ahimelech, the priest, and he says, hey, can you help me out, man? I'm, I'm, on, I'm on special mission from Saul, uh, and it's hush-hush but I've lost my sword and my shield, and I'm hungry. And so Ahimelech says, all I've got here is, is Goliath stuff and some showbread, right? And so Ahimelech helps him out. This, this quality man of character, Dog, the, the Edomite, um, the name should tell you a lot. He's not a man of character. Um, he is a character, though. And, uh, and so Dog sees the situation go down, and when Saul comes hunting, he hears that Ahimelech has helped David. And he's furious. And so he goes to him like the high priest and begins to, to seek him out. And Dog just absolutely rolls him under the bus, man. The horns were going. The bus was backing up. Boop, boop, both wheels, man. Got, got a him like. 
And so verse 22, uh, chapter 22, verse 16 says this, when I find it. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your, and your, and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants, and here's how smart uh, the servants of, of, of Saul are. They say to him, mm, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, where'd it go? And the king said to him, turn and kill. Da, da, da. Gosh, where'd it go? Then, but then the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. And so King Saul turns to this quality character, Dog, the Edomite. He says to Dog, you turn and strike the priests. And Dog's like, I. He turned and struck down the priest and killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. Not just that, he wiped out the city of Nob. Men, women, and children, infants, ox, donkey, sheep, put it all to the sword. And so when we start to look at character, character really does matter. It's important that as people of God, we have character that we walk in God's ways. And so as we begin to contrast again, Saul, we saw Saul last week and the week before, Saul's character is off the charts, man. He's, he's, he's worried, he's scared, he's um, conspiratorial, so he's suspicious of everybody around him, and so everybody's in trouble. Um, and it's just a bad situation. And so bad character seeks to destroy good people. And so it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. So, but here's the other thing. Even when we seek to do right, even when David does right, here's another story in, verse 23, in chapter 23, uh, 1 through 5. We're going to look at 6 through 12. 1 through 5, Keilah is, is a town uh, close to, to, to the Philistine border, and the Philistines are coming in, and they're robbing and pillaging, and they're stealing food off the threshing floor, right? And so these men are marauding, and David cries out to God, hey, do you want me to go? And God says, yeah, go. And, uh, and so they go up to Keilah to rescue Keilah from the Philistines. And here's what happens, verse 6 through 12. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, he survived the slaughter, uh, had fled to David to Keilah, he, came down, he, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand. For he has shut himself into a inn by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keala surrender me into his hands when Saul comes down, as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And so he's crying out to God, help me, I, I need to know what you want me to do. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keala surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. So even when we do what's right, even when we do what's right, sometimes the world turns on you. Sometimes the world 
turns on you to destroy you because they're tired of looking at right. And, and they feel the pressure of, uh-oh, we're going to get in trouble. Let's fix this. And so the people of Keala are worried for their own skin that Saul's going to come in. I mean, rightfully so. Saul's a powerful king, and he's got a big army. And so they're worried about that. And so, hear me, when life begins to fall apart, and you've done all that's right, you've done everything right according to God, you've walked in His ways, you've shown a light, you've been a beacon of hope, uh, showing them Jesus, and they turn on you to devour you. Just know they turned on Jesus first. It's important that we understand even when we do the right thing, things aren't always going to go our way. We need to trust in God. 1 Peter 3, 13-17 says this, now, he, sorry, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Right? So even, even if it's going to bring evil, right, we do what's right, because God said so. And we know Jesus suffered for doing the right thing. He was an innocent man, taken to the cross, beaten, scourged, hung, murdered, put in, a, put in a grave, only to rise again three days later to set the world free of sin. He did that for you and me. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Don't let it pass. If you don't know Christ today, today is your day to accept Him as Lord and Savior. God loves us and desires, for, desires the right for us. Desires good for us. And so, even when, even when things are tough, we can do what David did. And we can go pray. We can seek God's face in the cave. And like Spurgeon said, let today be a day of prayer. And so you have an opportunity when life gets sideways, when life's falling apart. Take that time. Recognize God's calling you to a life of prayer.